and I turned to my husband and I said, I cannot do this anymore. One of our very close friends during COVID was intubated. He was in the hospital. We weren't sure if he was going to survive. And I said to my husband, I cannot do this. My mother, she didn't hit menopause till close to 60. I'm not doing this for another 20 years. I'm 35 years old. I am not doing this for another 25 years. I just can't. I need to enjoy life. I need to enjoy my children. I need to enjoy this. I just need to function. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. And mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode of the Hope to Recharge podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Is there something that's preventing you from achieving your goals or interfering with your happiness? Maybe it's anxiety, stress, or worry, or what's going on in the world right now. BetterHelp.com will assess your needs and match you with your licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available, depending on what you need, and the services available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send messages your counselor and betterhelp.com is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and make it easy and free to change your counselors if you need to and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available betterhelp.com wants you to start living a happier life today so visit betterhelp.com hope to recharge that's betterhelp.com hope to recharge and join over a million people have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional you'll also get 10 percent off your first month once again that's betterhelp.com hope to recharge In this episode, I'm interviewing Alana Schlagbaum. Alana is going to share her personal story with her medical journey, the ups, the downs, the challenges, and beyond. It starts with pregnancies, some losses, years and years of pain and confusion, and not knowing what was wrong with her body. I will not give away the end of the story. There is a lot of grief and inspiration and healing that came out of Alana's story. We deep dive into details of how she dealt with it and the decision she had to make at the age of 35. This episode was so long, we decided to split it into two episodes. One, she shares her story. The second episode, I share my similar story with pain, but in a different medical way. And we hope, we hope With this story, we will encourage others to reach out for support, to reach out for clarity, to try to find some clarity and healing in their own journey that can be so confusing and so dark. We will have another episode after these two episodes that will talk about the challenges of being an Orthodox Jew and having a difficult medical situation with our bodies, the challenges with being Anida, the challenges of visiting the mikvah so often. We will share our personal insight and growth and how we adapted to it. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you know anyone that is dealing with some kind of fertility issues or personal health issues, send them this episode. It might give them hope. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me here again today. Today's a unique episode. Today, my voice is shaking. Today, I'm excited. 
Today, I'm going to be sharing a lot of something that I've never shared publicly before. I was just telling our lovely guest how I'm so grateful that she is allowing me this space to do it with someone else that's not a therapist, that's not a psychoanalyst, that's not a psychiatrist, not an OBGYN, not a doctor, not a spiritual guru, but someone that went through the same type of pain and that understands where I was. I'm going to introduce her first, Alana Schlagbaum. How did I find Alana? I was in carpool waiting for my son to come out of late night learning. What do you do when you're waiting in a parking lot? You scroll and something caught my eye. I suddenly see words that just pop out. And Alana was sharing this raw story about her infertility or not even infertility, her body that wasn't functioning. Let's just say it wasn't functioning properly and how hard it was. And I said, oh no, I better wipe my tears before these boys come into the car. And I quickly text her. I said, I'm going to Google who she is and see if I can find her on Facebook. I'm sitting in the car and I'm crying. And I just want to say thank you because so many of your words gave validation to my pain. And I'm like, yes, I reached out and I'm like, thank you so much. Can we do a podcast? Can we talk about this? Because if we're experiencing similar pain, how many more women are going through the same journey, but differently, the same kind of pain, the same adversity, but different because everybody has their own backgrounds and their own timing and things that come in the way of our diversity. So Alana, thank you for joining me here. Thank you so much for having me. I've actually never shared my story out loud in any kind of platform. When I wrote my story, which was shared by the Layers Project, thank you to Shira and to Rachel for letting me share my story. I decided that I had been through so much over a seven, eight year period of time. And I felt so alone. I felt like there was nobody out there who understood my pain. I had no one to turn to. I had nobody who I could find who experienced what I had experienced. And as much as my inner circle knew what was going on to some extent, nobody understood because nobody was living what I was living with. And I just felt like if I could help one person not suffer the way I did, even if I could listen, if I could guide you, I wanted to be there for somebody else because I just didn't have that person. And I truly, genuinely just want to do that for somebody else. How many responses did you get from that one article? I got a bunch. I got a lot of responses on the actual article, thanking me for putting myself out there saying, wow, I didn't know that. Or I've been through X, Y, and Z. Actually, some people had written that at the end when they finally figured out what was going on. Oh, I have this and I live that. And I'm like, wow, I never even knew. I didn't know anyone who had this condition or things like that. And then there was someone who said, I'm going through a really difficult time right now. I'm having something next week. I'm having a procedure and I'm sitting here crying. And thank you so much. Something as small as that. Literally the day I put it out, I was like, I'm so happy. And I said, you'll be okay. I promise. It takes time to get there, but you'll get there. You'll see. I know it's hard to hear when you've lived something, and I'm sure as you'll share later, we know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, and we have to find it. You have to get there. Yeah. But it's okay to be in pain. It's normal. It's healthy. Nobody should be in pain alone, though. That's first and foremost. When I was in therapy for my episode that I'm going to share later, I was trying to figure out why my depression relapsed. 
I went through a whole healing of depression and I was on a high and then I found out my condition. I don't want to give the whole story away now. And I literally found myself on the internet every single night just scrolling and scrolling. And I lived in Florida at the time and I have no one to talk to. My OBGYN is in New York. I don't even know if he's going to be able to treat me. And I started calling organizations to just give me clarity. I was looking for clarity. I was looking to understand what my mind couldn't comprehend. Like, how does this happen? And that loneliness is what took me to the pits of a hell of depression. Nobody should be there. And sometimes when we just have somebody else and say, okay, this is what happened. This is what you're going through. And they just guide you a little bit through the emotional tornado that you're going through and what's about to happen to your body. There's a little bit more comfort, but not knowing and being so alone was what led me to my next depression. Thank God I knew how to get out of depression because I've gone through it already. So I quickly leaned on that. But I was able to pinpoint and say, I feel alone. I, I don't understand. This is what's going on. Yeah. And so what you did by sharing it, you gifted a sense of I'm not alone. I really hope so, because I don't wish it upon anyone. And I know we each have our own struggles and it doesn't matter what you're going through. If it's something medically, if it's something mental health wise, every single person, their suffering is something and it's traumatic and they need help. And everyone needs a person. They need a support system. They need a family. And if not everyone has that, it's a gift to have a family who supports you and friends that support you and a workplace environment. Not everyone does that. It can really send you off the deep end in a way when you go through something traumatic because Nobody else knows what you're going through and your pain is your pain exclusively. And someone else might've had a hardship here or there, but every instance is different and you can't judge until you're in someone else's shoes. And one thing that I kept saying is, You just don't know what are happening in other people's lives. We see now in an Instagram age where everything is rosy and everything is smiles and every, you really don't know what people are suffering. And the same way when I went to work every day, I had a smile on my face. I'm a teacher. I teach little children. I had to. So many people came to me and said, oh my goodness, I never would have guessed. I never knew because you know what? I had to compartmentalize. I don't have a choice. I needed to work, but I also was going through this traumatic experience where very few people knew what was going on. And it was actually something that affected me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I couldn't say, oh, I'm at work now. It's going to stop. It would come and it would go when it felt like. So Mm. I really had to be prepared to deal with it wherever and whenever I was anywhere. And that was really challenging. I just want to give you a heads up that not everybody will know all the terminology about what we speak about. If we speak of any Jewish tradition or something like that, let's break it down. You got it. So let's go down your story. Let's welcome the audience and bring them into this. We gave them a little bit of the painful background of the emotional roller coaster. So let's give them what really happened. So I'm going to take you back now. It's going to be about nine and a half, 10 years ago. I had my first daughter and I had a textbook pregnancy. I went to minimal doctor's appointments. The only thing that kind of threw us for a loop was she was born two and a half weeks early and she was in the NICU for a few days. But once she came home, thank God she was a pretty healthy baby. Everything was great. And about when she was a year and a half, my husband and I said, okay, 
I think it's time maybe we want to have another one. I got pregnant pretty easily with my first one. I would say three, four months, and that was definitely not very long. How old were you at that age? I was 25 when I had my first child, so I was probably 26 and a half, about 27. So I said, okay, I'll go off my birth control, and I'll give it a shot. So lo and behold, not even about a month and a half later, I wasn't feeling well. I took a test and I was pregnant. So we were ecstatic. I made an appointment. I went to the doctor and they said, okay, they said you're pregnant, but it's very early. Come back in two weeks. We want to see a heartbeat. So I went back in two weeks and there was a faint heartbeat. They're like, come back in another two weeks. I went back two weeks later and there was no heartbeat. And the doctor said, I'm really sorry. You, you had a miscarriage. I was in shock. This is something that happens to people you hear about. It doesn't happen to you. I didn't know how to process, but she said you could have a procedure in the doctor's office or you can let it go naturally. And I was like, there's no way I could do that on its own, not knowing when it was going to come. I decided to have a DNC, they called it in the doctor's office. That procedure in itself, I remember was traumatic because I was half asleep and half awake and I felt kind of pain. They wouldn't let my husband in the room with me. All I remember is waking up, feeling very awkward and remembering weird things about that. I got over it. Obviously it was hard, but it was my first one. And everyone said, you're young, you'll get pregnant again. Don't worry. You have a beautiful daughter. And I said, okay. And I kept going. But after that time, I couldn't get pregnant. I kept trying. And I kept trying and month after month, I would get my period and I would start bleeding over and over. And I called my doctor and she said, oh, you're fine. Keep going. Don't worry. At one point she said, okay, you can try to take some Clomid. It might help with the ovulation. Tried some Clomid. At this point, I'm like way past a year of trying to have another baby. And everyone's, oh, when you have a miscarriage, you're so fertile. You'll get pregnant right away. Don't worry. And I kept having this feeling that something with that procedure, something was just not right. I just kept questioning what happened, but I just kept going on. And it got to a point, it was probably about a a year and a half later, and I still wasn't pregnant. And I said to my husband, I think it's time. I think I need to go see a specialist. So I finally make an appointment. I go see a specialist and he does a bunch of tests. He tests my husband. He tests me. And lo and behold, I have polycystic ovaries, which mean that you have spots on your ovaries and you also don't ovulate as well, which no one had ever told me before. But they said that's why I was having trouble getting pregnant. So I had gone to a reproductive endocrinologist and they took blood and they said, oh, we're going to help you. So one day I go to the doctor and there's a new doctor there. And all of a sudden she says to me, oh, I want to try intrauterine insemination, which I think it's called IUI for short. But she didn't explain to me why I needed that or how it was going to help me. And I just felt very confused. So when I called the doctor's office to schedule my next appointment, I said to them, when is my doctor coming back? They said, why? What's the problem? I said, I don't know. I just, I'm not so sure I understood what the other doctor said. I just really want to see my doctor. They said, there's another doctor in that practice. I really think you're going to like him. Why don't you see him next time? So I went and I saw him and happens to be that doctor was a rabbi. So the first time I saw that on the internet, I said, 
I'm not going to see a rabbi. He can't be my doctor. Rabbi, that's a doctor. A rabbi, that's a doctor. OBGYN. Yeah, and his specialty is reproductive endocrinology. <sighs> I went, I said, okay. I really didn't like this other doctor. I said, okay, I'll try. So I went and he said, I don't know what the other person told you. I don't see this. You're young. You're healthy. I want to send you for one test. Let them go clean out your tubes. Go for one more scan. I really think I can help you. What does yep. that mean, clean out the tubes? He put a tube into your fallopian tubes and they want to make sure that there's nothing blocking. That everything's flowing through, that the egg... Everything's flowing, yeah. that, that the reason you're not getting pregnant could be because there's something blocking it. And they couldn't see this through like some kind of scan or no they didn't give any kind of scan like that it's a very standard procedure you mm. go to a place they don't even put you out it's literally an hour you get a little bit crampy they pump your stomach with a little bit of gas and they figure out how to do it so i do the procedure and lo and behold i get pregnant the next month at this practice you go back every week for the first eight to 10 weeks. And then they'll discharge you and send you back to your regular OBGYN. And at about 15 weeks, I started to bleed and I started to panic. And I was like, what's going on? Am I having another miscarriage? I was having crazy, huge clots. Now it was also a Jewish holiday at the time. It was Passover. So I couldn't go into the actual doctors at the time. I had to wait till after the holiday ended when I can go back into the doctor. So you stayed at home? At home. You weren't afraid of hemorrhaging? I was, but we had some family doctors who stopped by and everyone felt that you could wait 24 hours and I would be okay. So when I went to the doctor the next morning, they told me I had something called placenta previa where the placenta is blocking your opening and sometimes that bleeding. Now, many people have healthy pregnancies with placenta previa. It happened to have been that I was releasing these very heavy clots, which is really interesting because as my story progresses, you're going to see the clotting come back again. Basically, she said, you can go to work, just be careful. And about two days later, I was releasing these crazy, crazy clots. And I go back to the doctor and he said, that's it. You need to be on bed rest. It's not safe. You have to stay home. So I stayed home. I was just about 16 and a half weeks. I had just gone for my 16 and a half week blood work. I had gone for my ultrasound. When the next morning, all of a sudden, like this gush. And I called the doctor and they said, come in the next morning. And when I got there, they told me that my water broke at 17 weeks. So they couldn't save that baby. They said, oh there's God. no way it's going to survive. You have to either give birth to the baby or you can have what they called a D&E. I think it's a dilation and extraction as opposed to a DNC, which was the dilation oh curative, which I had previously. So at this point, I tried for a year and a half to get pregnant. I finally get pregnant oh my God. and I lost that baby too. Oh my God. Wait, so, can you pause for a second? I'm hyperventilating literally. I'm just thinking, you're saying it because you repeated the story in your mind so many times, but I'm like at that moment that they're telling you you lost your baby and you're like, wait, why were you not monitoring me from the moment I started bleeding? Why did it get to this? Why did no one pick up on this? Where did we miss it? Like, what happened? What was going through your mind? Was there anger? Like that feeling of like, where were the doctors? So I've actually had that feeling many times over the years. I think I was just in shock, honestly, at that time. I was like, do you know how hard I tried 
to have this baby? Do you know what I went through to get here? And like, how does that just happen? How do you just, your water break? My water didn't even break with my first child. They had to break it. And I didn't know what to think. All I knew in my mind was I just want to have another baby. I just want to have a baby. I'm 27 years old and I don't know what's going on with my body. I just don't know. So thankfully, due to my support system, work in a school and I actually had to tell people because people had found out I was pregnant. I was 17 weeks and I had just shared that I was pregnant. So I kind of had to go through the motions. And because I had shared my pregnancy with people, people stepped up and people came to me and they said, I want you to know I lost a baby and I went through this and I went through this. And that really helped. It really helped me at the time because as much as you hear these stories, these were people I knew. These were people who got past it, people who moved on, were able to have more children. So at the time, it gave me enough comfort to know, okay, you're not giving up. You got to keep going. And I called my doctor, my reproductive endocrinologist at the time, because I wasn't seeing him anymore. And I said, you're not going to believe it. This is what happened. And he said, I need you to wait. You need to give your body three months time to heal. So I waited a month. And I was so antsy. I was like, I got to get back in there. I got to do this. You weren't afraid of losing another one. You didn't have the trauma of saying, you know what? I'm not ready for loss again. I need to heal. I don't trust in my body yet. And I don't know if my mental state can hold another loss if that's what's going to happen. Because it just got worse. The first yes. one was much. The second one was like drama. Right. How did you have that courage? I did have that. But at the same time, I was being pushed by my mom. I said, everyone, I like my, my inner circle was like, you're okay. You're going to do this. You're young. You got to go. And at that point, I was just like, I got to keep trying. I don't know what got me to that point. But I went back to the doctor and I did get pregnant three months later. Then I did insist on my doctor saw me every week for the first 16 weeks. And then she said, Alana, I think you're ready to go back to the once a month checkup. She said, I think you're there. So you got pregnant right away after trying. After two more months. So you waited like the doctor said. Yes, I waited. I lost the baby. It was April and I got pregnant in July. And then you said, I'm going to try. And right away you got pregnant. It took two months. But the second month I was able to get pregnant. The whole pregnancy, I was on eggshells and I kept saying, oh, I'm going to go early. I was early with my daughter, but my second daughter did not come early. They actually induced me because I begged them. I was like, I'm so scared. I need to have this baby already. So regular pregnancy, everything went smoothly. No bleeding, no spotting. Your numbers were great regular. The only thing that I had was that my iron was very low. So I had to go for, for iron infusions, mm -hmm. which didn't really cooperate with me. They, I had a little bit of allergic reaction to them. So I had to stop, but they felt like my iron was high enough. So that was traumatic too, because they poke you and they prod you and you go to the hospital thinking they know how to draw blood, but they don't. And mm -hmm. I ended up right. with all these black and blue marks all over my arm, but I got through it. And I was literally in the delivery room. My husband called my mom because he almost collapsed and he's like, I need help. And she came and as she and the doctor are chatting away, I see the doctor make this weird face and I like panicked. I'm like, what? Wrong? Oh my God. And apparently she didn't tell me till after the fact, but basically the cord was wrapped around the baby's neck. 
And she had two choices. She could either cut the cord or she could swing it. Right. And she tried to swing it. And I think the whole thing exploded in half. I didn't see it. All I saw was the doctor make this crazy face. And I was like, no, 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 you did it. I've been through enough. Thank God a million times. My daughter was born healthy. We named her Gabriela Bracha because Mm -hmm. she was such a blessing to us. And we felt like I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I finally got the blessing that I was waiting for. But I got to be honest, when she was born, I started having major anxiety, which I did not realize for years after, which came out much, much later. Because of all the trauma that I was through, I was so nervous that something was going to happen to her. And that I wouldn't be able to take care of her or something was going to happen to me. That was very stressful for me. And then the story continues. About six months after she was born, I took birth control. You're like, okay, we have to let the family just be a family. Let's not be working on on saving lives. Yes. (laughs) Just I needed to learn how to cope. Right. So. I went on my birth control, which I had been on with my older daughter before I had tried to get pregnant in between. I never had any problems. And I started spotting. I started bleeding every single month through the birth control. I called the doctor. They switched my birth control. I would call every month. I'm bleeding again. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Birth control to birth control. Nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Finally, I called the reproductive endocrinologist again, and I said, I'm having this bleeding issue. Do you think you could help me? So the doctor said, why don't you come in? I'm going to do a test. They call it a hysteroscopy. It's basically where they put you under anesthesia, and they put a camera in your uterus so they can see inside to see if there's something that they're missing on an ultrasound. How many months is this that you're going through? So my daughter was born in April. The next January, I was already having this procedure because I already had multiple months where I was bleeding with no reprieve. I just kept bleeding through my pill. It didn't matter if I took the stronger one, the lighter one. Everything I tried to do, I couldn't stop the bleeding. Can we pause for a second? And just explain for people that don't understand, why would you care if you're bleeding? It's not the end of the world. Like a lot of people spot and bleed through their birth control. So by orthodox families, one of the things is that when a woman bleeds, when she has her cycle, it's a physical separation time between her and her husband. We have, it's called the nida. The woman is a nida, it's the nida time. And it can feel very lonely. So there's something very special because after a cycle, we have this renewal. It's usually two weeks later. You have your two weeks of your own private time when you're moody and you need your space, which it could be a oh, blessing. Yeah. I often speak to non-Jewish people and they're like, wow, what a blessing. And I'm like, I wish I saw it that way. I never felt like it was a blessing for me. Yeah, it's not so easy. I never experienced the blessing part, but I did it because that's what we did in our family, right? So when you're telling this story, I have a pit in my stomach because I remember the month after month after month and you're just like, enough. I just want to be on a normal relationship with my husband that I don't have to worry, oh, now another two weeks and I don't know when it's going to end because then the cycle, if there's bleeding and then the cycle comes, so it can be a month and then the next month. So you're a nida for so long and then you're afraid to go to the mikvah to the holy water to get pure because maybe next morning or the moment you come out once i came out and i started bleeding and you're at despair to the emotion forget about the whole hormonal roller coaster 
which we can get through birth control. This loneliness and this separation is an extra stress. I just wanted to give perspective to people that don't understand why is she running to the doctor? So big deal. She's spotting. It's a big deal by us. Yeah. And honestly, it started as spotting. And years later, it ended up being major, major clots. clotting. I was passing clots everywhere I went. So it started only as a spotting. And when the doctor, in the end, they told me, okay, you have something called dysfunctional uterine bleeding. We can't tell you why. We can't tell you how. There's nothing to do about it. It just comes. And there's really no way to fix it. You'll be okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're healthy. You don't have to worry. Again, this is a doctor I had all the respect in the world for. I think he is amazing. He helped me. But in a way, I was like, really? There's nothing to do. I just kept thinking like, this is my body. This is not normal. Your body's not supposed to do this. So what was he explaining? Because it's really not normal to have blood clots like that. He was explaining that there's no rhyme or reason for this to happen. So I went about my life and I kept going on like this. And every year I would go back for my annual checkup at the doctor. And every year I would, again, multiple times throughout the year, I would call them. I'm bleeding. Is something wrong? I want to have an ultrasound. Can you check it out? Something's not right. I don't know what's going on. It's getting worse. And I would go back and every time they would look at the ultrasound, oh, your ultrasound is normal. There's no blood there. And I would leave the doctor's office and there would be blood in my underwear. And I'm like, what do you mean? There's nothing there. In a way you think you're crazy because every time you leave the doctor, they're like, you're fine. You're okay. There's nothing to do. I had a doctor who I really liked. He really followed my case for a long time. He tried different medications. He was willing to play around with the different birth controls. He really tried. He said he only had one other patient who had been like this. And we tried so many different solutions within this time period. And it didn't matter what we tried. Nothing got better. Until one time, it was years later, I was on an airplane. And all of a sudden, Boom. I felt this gush. And I turned white. I turned to my husband. I went like this with my hands. I touched my legs in front of me. I was wearing a black skirt and I lift up my hands and they were covered in blood. I was in the middle of the air on the way home from Florida. And I think I almost had a heart attack. Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness, self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others, essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one -on -one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one -on -one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. 
And all of a sudden, boom, I felt this gush and I turned white. I turned to my husband. I went like this with my hands. I touched my legs in front of me. I was wearing a black skirt and I lift up my hands and they were covered in blood. I was in the middle of the air on the way home from Florida. And I think I almost had a heart attack. My husband for sure was panicking, but was trying to stay calm for me. Went to the bathroom. I changed, but I was like, I need to land. I need to land. I need to land. I need to call the doctor. Do you think they're going to rush me to the hospital? What do you think is happening? Am I having a he- like a hemorrhage? What's going on? Am I bleeding out? And I call the doctor's office and they're like, oh, you're okay. Just double your birth control. You'll be fine in no time. And I was like, really? Are you sure? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It just sounds like you made a mistake with your birth control. Just double up for the next few days. So here I am and I'm like, this is insane, but I don't have a choice. They said, don't come in. I'm not going to be the boy who cried wolf. So I go home two days later. This was a Thursday or Friday on Sunday. It happens again this time in my house. Wait, but how are you feeling physically from the loss of the blood? Are you feeling weak? Are you feeling anxious? So every time that would happen, I became weaker because my iron levels definitely fluctuated a lot. And there were many times where my iron would go low. They spent a lot of time checking my iron. A lot of times it was okay. But this is not normal for someone to be there. I couldn't. And as the years went on from that episode. Years? Years. I'm talking years. Years. This was probably five years. Five years. From when the story began when my daughter was born. It continued two years after that. Because at that five-year period, when this clotting started, I said, I need to go see a specialist. So I tried to research. I tried asking every doctor I knew, do you know anyone who specializes in dysfunctional uterine bleeding? Is there a doctor, an OBGYN? Is there a reproductive endocrinologist, somebody that you know that has dealt with this? I asked my doctor, I said, can you recommend somebody else? Nobody had a name. You were talking about organizations before. My father had said, oh my God, I heard this organization. It's based out of Muncie. They match people up with doctors. I called them. I was so hopeful. I spent hours on the phone. They had given me one name, but nothing panned out. I had gotten two names. I tried two different doctors. One doctor that I went to was very well known in my community. She was a big cancer doctor, a big OBGYN. And when I went to her, she was like, oh, well, I can think of two solutions. One, you can try an IUD. And I was like, an IUD? My doctor kept telling me, you're going to bleed through the IUD. People bleed through anyways, but you can't not bleed through your birth control. An IUD is not going to help you at all. Or she said, you could have a hysterectomy. Did anybody say, let's go birth control free for two months and see if your body's going to regulate itself? Did anybody have that? Like, oh, maybe it's a hormonal issue. Nobody did that. But it's interesting you said that because at one point I gave up and I said, I'm just bleeding through my birth control. What the heck? I'm going to go off. Exactly. So what's the point? Guess what? I ended up getting pregnant. Oh my God. I had my son. Wait, 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 wait. In the middle, I missed that part. I'm sorry. I skipped around. So at about year three, I said, I'm going off birth control. What's the point? I'm bleeding through it anyways. I'm not going to get pregnant by myself. I couldn't get pregnant with my daughter. I said, what's the difference? I'm just going to go off birth control for a little bit. I want to see what's going to happen. And balance out my body and see what my body naturally is. Exactly. I want to see if it's going to make a difference. I want to see if I'm going to bleed anyways, not on the birth control. I want to see it. And lo and behold, I started feeling really sick. Couldn't get over it. It hit me out of nowhere. And I'm like, 
this is really strange. And I was talking to my mother and she was getting really worried. She was like, I don't know. I have a friend. She has this doctor. I'll pay. Will you go get all this blood work done? I want to see what's going on with your body. If you'll do it, I'll pay for it. And I was like, okay, mom, I'll think about it. And then I turned to my husband the next day and I'm like, can you buy me a pregnancy test? I'm just curious. And I take the test and lo and behold, I was positive. I was pregnant. I was shocked. I called the doctor. I made an appointment. I was eight weeks pregnant. So you weren't bleeding for eight weeks, right? So at the very beginning, I was very crampy. I had had a period, I guess at one point. So this was only four weeks later when this period of time when I was feeling very sick. So you stop your birth control. I stopped the birth control. And there's no clotting anymore. No. At that time, I was not clotting. I was not bleeding heavily, heavily. Okay. I was very crampy. I was very uncomfortable. I actually remember I was at a funeral. My great uncle passed away. I remember sitting in the front row and just feeling pain and not feeling well. And I'm like, this is so strange. Am I going to have an episode here? Like what's going on? And I kind of ignored it because I, I was in the middle of this event. And two weeks later, I ended up taking the pregnancy test and I was pregnant. I could not believe it. I was floored. The doctors were floored. They didn't know what to expect either. And I had this miracle. Easy pregnancy, no clot, no bleeding? No, nothing. Thank God. I was petrified with him as well. I went to the doctor. We did have a mid-pregnancy scare with him. They had found this choroid plexus cyst on his brain at 20 weeks when they told me it was a boy. And they didn't know if it was related to trisomy 13. There was all these different genetic testing that had to be done. So for two weeks, my husband and I could not sleep because we just didn't know what to expect. And even seeing a genetic counselor who, by the way, when I saw her said to me, oh, hey, I have the results of that baby that you lost. Do you want to know what the sex of the baby was? And I was like, wow, my God, my God. I'm reliving that right. trauma all oh over again. Thank God a thousand and one times we had a lot of ultrasounds. The cyst went away. My son was born. He was healthy. It was a normal delivery. It was very emotional because three days after he was born, my grandfather passed away. Oh, so you got his name. So... His bris was during the Shiva and he got my grandfather's name and my uncle's name, the one who passed away while also sitting there. So he ended up with two beautiful, really meaningful names in my life at that time. So that was a little bit of craziness in the middle. But after I gave birth to him and I had to get back to life as normal, I went back on the birth control and I was right back at square one again. So why weren't you saying it's birth control? Why didn't you say to yourself, you know what? My body doesn't do well on birth control. We need to find a different way to stop pregnancy, not with hormones. It's a good question. If I had an answer for you now, I would tell you, I don't know why. Why didn't any doctor say, any, why Why was no one thinking this? I don't know why. I know we tried different kinds. We tried ones with different amounts of hormone and less hormone and this. Because you're surviving mode. I'm saying you would expect what? somebody with a little bit of experience would say, you know what? You got pregnant. You were okay, right? A few weeks yeah. before when you were off it. Maybe your body's just not good with, I don't know. I'm just thinking. I know. I'm not sure. I don't have an answer to go back that far, but I'll tell you, there were a lot of questions I had these doctors. Every time I would go to the doctor, you're okay, you're okay, it's nothing, don't worry, you're fine, we'll get by. And it got to the point where I started hemorrhaging at work. 
I literally couldn't stand up. I teach four-year-olds. I was standing outside in the carpool line and I would feel these gushes. And it was random and you never knew when it would be. I was literally in the bathroom at school one day and literally on the floor. It, it ejected. I was mortified. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I said, this is crazy. And I was like, I have to find a specialist. I need to go to a different doctor. So I went and I searched and I tried. And at one point, right before COVID shut down the world, I had gone to see a different doctor in a different neighborhood in New York, not in New Jersey where I live. And the doctor said, I got this. I'm going to help you. I could do this. And he took an ultrasound right on the table, which was crazy because I hadn't had one and he did the same procedure that I had been put out five years before, but he did it again with me awake like that. I could not believe he could do it in the same day when I had to beg and scream. And I'm the one who kept saying to the doctors, you sure I don't need an ultrasound? How could you tell what's going on inside of me? If you don't look inside of me, how can you see? How do you know? And in hindsight, I had an internist who said to me, did anyone ever give you an MRI of your uterus or your pelvis? And I said, no. And every time I would go to my gynecologist and say, my internet, she suggested it. They were like, eh, no, there's no, it's not necessary. You don't need an MRI. You're good. You're fine. Everything was shot down. So here we go. Lo and behold, years later, he's doing this test and he says, oh my God, you're atrophic. Now that means that you have zero lining left in your uterus. Zero. I'm not really sure how you're bleeding so much considering that you have no lining because when you bleed, you're usually shedding your lining. Right. But I was bleeding and I had no lining. So we were trying different medications. I finally found one birth control, one that helped me more than any other ones. I was still bleeding, but it was less. I got a little bit more relief, but then I had to fight with my insurance company because they wouldn't cover it because they said, oh, that's not the one that's the generic. And I'm like, I need this one. You don't know what I'm going through. I need this one, please, whatever. I just need this brand. I need it to be this brand. I need this diet, please. I just need it. And every month I would say to my husband, this is insane. I just want to be a normal functioning member of society. Your mother at the same time. Let's put that into perspective. You're a mother. You're trying to be a wife. You work. You're trying to be a person, a daughter, a friend, a wife. And this is consuming every day, all day, sleeping, worrying. It just consumes you. It was crazy. So during COVID, during that stretch from when I saw that doctor, I bled straight for eight weeks. And I turned to my husband and I said, I cannot do this anymore. One of our very close friends during COVID was intubated. He was in a hospital. We weren't sure if he was going to survive. And I said to my husband, I cannot do this. My mother, she didn't hit menopause till close to 60. I'm not doing this for another 20 years. I'm 35 years old. I am not doing this for another 25 years old. I just can't. I need to enjoy life. I need to enjoy my children. I need to enjoy this. I just need to function. They didn't even say, okay, this is what you're going through. This is what happens. There was no explanation. There was, there was no clarity. Okay. There's a system. And maybe when you do this, there was nothing. No explanation. There was no support, nothing. And during that eight weeks, we were talking about going to the holy water, to the mikvah. I finally was able to go after eight weeks. Oh my God. Matana, you don't understand. Oh my God. Eight weeks to the day, and I started bleeding. The oh, day I was oh supposed to go, I lost it. I was sobbing. I was an emotional mess. My husband called the rabbi and the rabbi said to me, her mental health comes first. Thank you. Whoever this rabbi is, is going straight to 
heaven and getting everybody welcoming him because how many rabbis say that? I don't know, but I'm not going to go on a whole rant here. But thank God for people like him. He saved me that day because I was in this dark and ugly place and I was beside myself. I was losing it. There's no worthiness. You suddenly feel like you're not worthy. I kept saying to my husband, I'm broken. Right? I'm broken. I kept saying, I'm broken. My body doesn't work. Exactly. While I'm trying to function during COVID and my children are home, I was just a mess. Thank Hashem. Thank God he let me go that day. And he said, do what you need to do. But of course the bleeding came back again and again. So finally June time, you know, the doctor's office kept being closed. They kept pushing off my annual appointment. When I went in June, I went to see a different doctor, the one who I had originally saw years past who delivered my daughter. I told her what happened. And I said to her, please, you need to help me. I can't. Oh, you're young. You're okay. No, I can't do this. Finally, she said to me, okay, you want to just go for a consult with a surgeon? And I said, yes, I want to go. This is during COVID. They're doing procedures. It was June. It literally had just reopened. I made an appointment. She gave me the name of a surgeon. I did my research. I found out other people reputable who had used him. I said, okay, I'm going to go. I took my mom with me because I figured she'll know what questions to ask that maybe I might not. And I'm only 35. Maybe I'm not thinking clearly. And we went and I explained my situation. I told him the whole story. And he said, you're a perfect candidate. He said, I could do it tomorrow. He was ready to schedule me the next week. And at that point, I was like, I want to talk to my husband. I scheduled it. And I was like, I need a few weeks. I gave myself those three weeks. I needed to come to terms. I needed to be able to enjoy my summer a little bit. We were just coming out of COVID. I needed to be able to function a little bit. And I scheduled the surgery for the Monday after Tisha B'Av. A hysterectomy. Four days before my 36th birthday. This was August 3rd. My birthday is August 7th. He was going to do a robotic hysterectomy, which he said was much less invasive than a normal one. And they take out the uterus and my cervix. And they leave in the tubes. But because I'm so young, they didn't want me to go into menopause. So they leave in the ovaries so that this way the hormones are intact and I could be okay. So honestly, it took my husband and I a lot to get there. It doesn't sound like a lot because three weeks is fast. When I went to the doctor's office, when I went for that appointment, my mind was 90% you were there. I was there. And he said to me, this is on you. You have to be willing to know that this means that you're having no more children. And honestly, that to me was the hardest part of this whole decision. Because yes, I had three beautiful children. I had two very complicated pregnancies, having trouble to get pregnant. And I didn't know that my body could handle any more pregnancies. I don't know what would have happened. My second pregnancy was not easy. There were complications. I didn't know if my body, after all this trauma with all these years, could even hold a pregnancy. But to know that I was taking away that chance, if I wanted another one, Hmm. not knowing where I stood, that to me was so challenging because I didn't want to make that commitment saying, I didn't know that I was done. What if two years down the road at 36 years old, 37, what if I changed my mind? It's not too old in today's day and age to have a baby. I have friends who had babies at 37. I turned to my husband and he was done. He was very happy. He felt like we were blessed with three. He was okay. Our family went through enough trauma for 25 years. Yes. I want your health first. He said, if this is something you're ready, I support you a thousand percent. Just think how blessed you are for that. Oh my God. Yeah. 
I decided I'm going to do it. I couldn't live with these clots. I couldn't live with not knowing what was going to happen to me on a daily basis. You didn't live. You survived. I did. That was not living. That was literally holding on and surviving moment to moment. It was. And so I went ahead with it. It was an hour procedure. I went in six o'clock in the morning. I was out by 730. I was very out of it. I had a friend who had been through the same procedure and she said, whatever you do, make sure that you tell them you're in a lot of pain. You want them to give you pain medication. So I kept saying, oh, nine, nine, nine. Meanwhile, I was so out of it. I was on another planet. I could not even see straight. But when I got home and I slept a while and I woke up, I was like, okay, I did it. Honestly, my biggest fear on that surgery was not waking up. I had that fear with Mm. anesthesia. You just never know. That was my biggest fear. Once I got home and I woke up, yeah, I was in pain. But a few days later with Advil, I took Tylenol. My mother made me get up and go walk down the block. She was like, the faster you get up, the faster you're going to recuperate. It took me a good week or two. I did it during the summer. I didn't work that summer. And I went back to work three weeks later. I had to set up my classroom. I had to be back in school. My co-teacher wasn't even starting the year. She had a family emergency. So I had to start the year by myself in a new classroom with brand new students starting September 1st. And I did it and it was hard. And September was hard. But you know what? Looking back, once I hit that six month mark, I felt like a new person. What happens at six months? Just my body and my energy was back. I was really back to myself. And you know what? To not bleed. No bleeding. No bleeding. Not live in fear. Do I need a pad? Is it going to bleed through? Not even after the surgery. There was no blood. There was nothing. And That relief was like freedom, a million dollars to me. Just knowing that, oh my God, I'm never going to have to deal with that again. And actually when I went to my follow-up with the surgeon after two weeks, he had said that they had tested the uterus after it was out. And they had discovered that I had a condition called adenomyosis of the uterus, which actually causes the cramping and the bleeding and a lot of the symptoms that I was having. Now, again, there are people who live with adenomyosis. I don't know enough about it to comment, but I know in my case, he said in my specific situation, he told me it was the right move. This was the only long-term solution for me, for my body with the bleeding. Now, how long it was there, I don't know, because guess what? Nobody did an MRI. And if they had, they may have found it. But not one doctor, nobody sent me for an MRI. So nobody found it. It doesn't show up on a regular ultrasound. And trust me, I had plenty of ultrasound. So it was a relief for me. I said to my husband, I'm not crazy, you see. Nobody believed me. You believe me because you would see what was in the toilet. But trust me, I felt like every doctor thought I was nuts. I spent seven years going to the doctor 15 times a year, literally making appointments every time. All I heard was, there's nothing to do. How could that be? I don't understand. And at the end, last April, one of the last things that broke the straw was I was on the phone with my doctor. Again, the office was closed. We were talking over the phone. And he said to me, Alana, we've tried everything. I really don't think I could help you anymore. I really think you should go see a different doctor. And I was like, you helped me for six years. Do you know what that feels like? And why would he send you to MRI to say, you know what? I want to know for myself. Forget about you, Alana. I want to know for my medical experience, what is this strange phenomena that's happening? 
I want every test done. Go to the Mayo Clinic. Why didn't anybody send you to the Mayo Clinic? Why weren't you going through some kind of a hormonal track of taking blood three times a week to see if your hormones are spiking? What's going on? It was nothing. Do you see how angry I am? <laughs> I feel your anger because it was very devastating to know not that they don't believe you, but in a way, they poo-poo your symptoms. As long as you're standing and you have a heartbeat and you're walking, you're okay. But I knew I wasn't okay. I knew that what was happening to my body was not normal. And nobody should have to live with what I was living with. Nobody. And that's why I kept advocating for myself. And I kept going back. And I kept going back. Because I knew that there was no way that this could be expected. That any female should be expected to live like this and to say that this is part of life. I'm sorry. We have all of our organs, right. things that Hashem gave us, organs that he put there for a reason and they're miraculous and they all have different purposes. But he did not make something for you to just lose blood like I was losing on a daily basis. It just didn't make sense. And I was going crazy. I thought that I was nuts, that I was making things up. And if I learned one lesson over these seven years is you are your best oh, advocate. Thank you. If you don't think that you are getting the correct advice, push. You need to go and you need to get a second opinion, a third opinion, however many opinions it takes you, because you are the only one who could help. First of all, you're the only one that's dealing with it 24 seven in your mind, in your body, in your family. You're the one that's carrying it constantly. I often say this with psychiatry. I'm a huge advocate for top psychiatrist. I say, you're the only one that's going to have the symptoms after the bad medication mm -hmm. and your spouse, your kids, your family, your work, everything is going to get affected. If you're on the wrong medication, mm -hmm. don't let them tell you, go home and call me in a week because that week feels like a year and it can destroy and sometimes suicidal. So no, you scream when it's wrong. You tell, you show up, you beg, Go to a different doctor and just keep on, as you said, being your own yeah. biggest advocate because no one else is going to show That's up. That's it. And I'm so grateful to my husband and I'm grateful to my support system, my very close friends and my mom and my sister who got me through it. I would cry and I would cry and I would call and I just needed people to talk to because nobody else could give me any other information and they, they couldn't help me and they just didn't know what I was going through. And I just felt so betrayed. The system. I felt betrayed by the whole system, the whole medical system. And trust me, I am a doctor goer. I go to every doctor under the sun, every checkup, every physical, every anything, because I very much believe in if you don't go, you don't find out and God forbid, you never know the repercussions. So I go and I go religiously, but they really let me down. I was really let down in this situation. And had I not taken control, had I not decided on the surgery, I would still be here going through the same exact situation. And I don't wish that upon anybody. And there was no one that you can reach out like an organization for women. There's the fertility, the bone olam, the a time. No one went through this. Yes. You're the first woman. So when I had lost my babies, I had reached out a time. Someone had given me them. They were very helpful. I don't know. I didn't find one. I couldn't find anyone. I had spoke to a few clergy, some yoat sot, and 
maybe they knew anyone going through, maybe they had any advice and nobody could give me the name of a doctor who had dealt with this, a doctor who had knew what to do. Even the doctors I went to who claimed they knew what to do, didn't, they couldn't manage it. There was no managing it because whatever was going on in my body had a mind of its own. It was doing what it wanted, when it wanted and it was wreaking havoc in my body. And when I went into my surgery, my iron level was at a 10. And it's very low for people who don't know. It normal is 13. You can't function like that. You're very tired. You're lethargic. It, it really has an effect. And you need to know that. You wouldn't know that. And when I even went to one of the doctors, I said, do you want to take blood? Do you want to like prick my finger? Oh, no. I could see you would be yellow in your eyeballs if you were really low in iron. Guess what? I really was low in iron. You start to think like you're crazy. I knew what I was talking so about. I'm so grateful that I was able to take that leap, that my husband was with me every step of the way, and that I think I'm on the other side. Am I always going to live with this trauma? Am I always going to have this experience? Do I have my losses? Do I have my years of pain? I do. But at the same time, I take this and I say, you know what? I was granted another chance right now. You're going to live now. I am 37 years old, turning 38, and wow. I'm going to take it and I'm going to run. I started walking 10,000 steps a day and I started living again. I started just enjoying myself, trying to live day by day and just trying to be that friend, trying to be that person for people. I helped a friend last year, mid-May, who was going through something similar and I helped guide her and it was my pleasure. And I just wanted to be there, someone to you could vent, to, someone who could relate, someone who could say, I understand exactly how you're feeling. And guess what? I felt that way too. And it sucks. It sucks. It's lonely. It's frustrating. It's tiring. You just don't feel human. As we said together before, we're broken. We just feel broken. As you're saying the last few words, I've been saying this for the last few months, that my goal is to empower women, no matter what their diversity is, to try to live alive. And it sounds that that's what you're going to do now, to live alive. You got your life back. There is no fear of leading. You had a tremendous loss, a huge loss, loss of time, loss of seven years of your healthy life, loss of a dream of being the feminine woman that goes through the cycle or even dreaming if you're going to have another baby, a loss of a part of your body. You literally had a loss, many losses, and you had to grieve that. And grief comes in different stages. And there's going to be the day of, totally. the anniversary, I, the thought. Honestly, I'll never forget. I was going for a routine scan or blood work at my local hospital. And I pulled up and there was a couple who was literally checking in to have a baby. And I caught my husband and I lost it. I'm just never going to have that again. That's just never going to be me. And I don't think he understood. He's never going to be able to understand how that feeling. Mm. But we're mothers. We have that maternal instinct. When my family members, when my sister-in-laws have babies, I am so happy for them. I literally, what a bracha. But that little thing that tugs at you, that I'm never going to go through that stage again. I'm done. I don't have that chance anymore. Whether I wanted to or not. It was taken away from me and I don't have that choice. Even though it was by choice it taken away. It was by away. choice taken away, yes. It was taken away by choice, but you had no choice but that choice, really. You were between a rock and a hard place, right? Correct. I decided to live for my three children that I have, that I was blessed with. 
and not to live long enough if I can have another one. And that's what I chose. And that's what I'm going to try to do my best from here out to do. You were saying the anniversary. Actually, this past August was my first one year anniversary and I work in a summer camp and my friends were going to make me a party. They were going to have a happy uter out party for me. Oh, wow. And I got hit with COVID wow. and I had to go home from camp. So that never happened, but it was definitely a big milestone for me yeah. making it one year and looking back over the past year and seeing how far I've come and how I feel and where my confidence is and being confident mm. enough to come on tonight with you and to share my story for others. There's nothing for me to hide. There's no shame in what I went through. There was nothing that I could have controlled. All I do now is I can control my narrative Beautiful. from here forward. And that's what I want to do. I want to help other people. I want to be there for them. I want to offer support in any which way that I can. I want to give people that strength that they can get through their challenge, no matter how big or how small. It doesn't have to be the same, but you're not alone. There are other people who are with you and have been there and they've come out on the other side and just wow. hang in there. That, that would be my message that I would want to give. Wow. Talk about meaning. We can go through something and be very down on ourselves and stay in the victim mode and entitled to because hell back and forth a million times. And really a gift to ourselves sometimes mm -hmm. is to find meaning because it's a way to go through the, as Marshall Linehan says, pain without meaning is misery. So instead of creating yeah. that misery of living it constantly to create some kind of comfort, for the loss, for the adversity, for this unbelievable pain. Now, some people might hear and say, okay, big deal. She has three children. So she bled a lot. There is so much that goes into bleeding and not being functioning. I don't even know how you were able to even go to school. How did you not quit? I would quit. I would say, you know what? I'm afraid to go anywhere. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to see people. I don't want to be caught in the middle of a street with blood all over myself. I wouldn't travel. My life would stop. I I'm giving you so much. Kudos to you for not quitting life. You could have quit life. Yeah, there really wasn't an option for me, unfortunately. Maybe it was fortunately. I didn't have a choice and I had to function for my children. I had to function because I had a job and I didn't have a choice. I just went on. It doesn't mean it was easy. It doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of pain, but I had to. Mm. It was a balance. And maybe seven years ago when it first started, okay, you know, we're here and there. But as it went on, and especially in the last few years, it was rough. It was really rough. There were embarrassing moments. And there were times that I thought I couldn't go on, that I couldn't do it anymore. But I pushed myself and I just trudged forward and I got myself to that point to say, okay, I'm going to take control of my life. If their doctors are not helping me, then I'm going to take control. Do you have this desire to figure out what was wrong in order to prevent other women from going through it, not going through the seven years of hell? Oh, for sure. If I knew a way to figure out what really was it besides that terminology that they threw out at me. Yeah. Which is why when they actually tested the uterus and came out with an actual terminology, I was so beyond ecstatic. God, something legit. I didn't make it up. So yeah, if I could figure it out, I would a thousand percent figure it out. This is the beginning of your living alive. This is the beginning of your journey. I'm sure so much will start the clarity, the wisdom. You'll reflect back 
something's going to suddenly make sense in a few years. That's what happens with adversity when we're open to accepting it. Something Very often there's this clarity that comes with it and some kind of an understanding. Sometimes it's very spiritual. Sometimes it's very spiritual. For me, it was a spiritual thing. First of all, thank you for sharing this incredible story of courage and strength and literally not giving up and showing up and giving yourself another chance, even though there's loss. Yeah, it wasn't easy, but I'm here. I'm on the other side. And now that I'm here, I say, keep trudging. You could do it. We are going to continue this episode next week. You'll be hearing more from Alana while I share my part of my story and how I dealt with my infertility. Stay tuned for next week. And after next week, we are going to be sharing all about the challenges of a woman from the Orthodox world going through infertility. Bye till next time. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time.